Turn with me in your Bibles to James chapter 2, please. James chapter 2. The theme for our year this year is gospel and life. This is another James chapter 1, 22. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. And part of that theme is coming out of then looking at the book of James. We're in chapter 2. We've been looked already passed through chapter 1. Verses 1 to 13. Follow along as I read, please. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, You sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand there or sit here on my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak, and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. May the Lord continue to add his blessings to the word. This morning we're only going to look at the first four verses. I think that that will give you a kind of a feel for the, for the text. Uh, you can follow through with the rest of the verses if you wish on your own. But I want to look at the first four verses. All of us walk around with an unpublished list in our minds of desirable and undesirable, often based on what we can gain from that relationship or what we can take from that relationship. Some prefer to be around educated folks, and they look down on the non-academic type. Some would rather spend time with young people and make no effort to intentionally in, in, invest time with the seasoned. Now, I was going to say aged, but I am one of them. So I use the word seasoned rather than calling myself aged. But also the opposite is true. Many times, young people, I'm sorry, sometimes the seasoned, don't invest in the young people. Well, others have a built-in prejudice against any race or ethnic group that is different. Most of us want to spend time with people just like we are, or want to be like we are? Two questions I want to begin with. First question, how can we refuse to accept and associate with one with whom God has received? The same grace that brought you to Christ is the same grace that brought them to Christ. How can we refuse to do that? The second question is this. How can we exclude from our lives and withhold our friendship and fellowship from someone God has welcomed? This is not a new problem. This is the same old problem that began even in the first century church. This is the issue, this area of prejudice, of pride, of 
partiality that James is addressing here in his book. I think I had mentioned earlier in the early messages of James that James is believed to be one of the first books written uh, in the New Testament. So as, as James, the half-brother of Jesus, the pastor of the church at Jerusalem, these Jews, many had been scattered about. They had been saved under his, under his ministry. There were many still in Jerusalem, but because of persecution, they had spread out. And so James is, is writing from his pastor's heart uh, to these believers. Two things as we look at the first four verses. First of all, there's a principle to remember there in verse 1. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ as the Lord of glory with partiality. I'm just going to walk you through it, not fast. I'm going to take my time, but I want you to catch it. The counsel, my brethren. This is a term of endearment. I've mentioned this before. In fact, we'll, use it, we'll see it again later in the verses where he says, listen, my beloved brethren. My brethren, this is, this is a, the counsel he's going to give them. This is from a pastor to his people, from his heart to, the, to their hearts. Not from head to head, but from heart to heart. This is a passion. This is the emotional involvement you have. They already have a common heritage in that there's ethnic background, but they also have a common relationship. They are one in Christ. Whenever James uses this term, particularly in James, not always true of others, but whenever James uses this term, he is ready to point out something that needs to be changed in their lives. Let's say we're part of that congregation, and James is writing this letter, and we have it sitting here in front of us. As he's writing a letter to this, this is something we need to make sure, we need to check at the door. This may be something that you need to change. But as a church, certainly we need to change. We need to embrace this area that he's going to address in here in this letter as he talks to these believers. The second thing we notice is the command. Do not hold. It's a present tense, which means it's continuous action, and it's called what's called the imperative mood. The imperative mood is a, a command. In other words, I'm giving you this command, and you're to continually act upon it. In other words, don't sit in here this morning, or don't sit and read this letter back in the first century, and read it and said, he's right on. He's exactly where I need to be. And then put the letter down and walk out the door, and it's over with. No, this is continuous action. This is an area that needs to be changed, and it needs to be continually acted upon. No break, no interruption. Also, the fact that in, this, in these do not hold, it's emphatic, it's forceful, it's authoritative. You don't have to yell and scream and pound the pulpit to get your point across. James wasn't there. It was on paper. They read the letter from paper, or papyrus, if you want to put it that way. But nonetheless, it was just as forceful. It was just as authoritative. It was just as emphatic. Do not hold. Third thing, the concern, the faith. Not, this is not the act of believing. Sometimes we refer to it as the faith principle, saving faith. But this is the art of living. He's addressing here not the act of believing, but the art of living do not hold the faith, that, that practical application of faith. As, as it says in, in uh, chapter, or chapter 1, verse 22, be ye doers of the word, the living faith, the art of living. The commitment. There are various ways of actually translating this phrase, of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glory of God. But 
regardless of how it's translated, it always comes out, these three things stand out. First of all, Jesus Christ is the enfleshment of God. God is revealed to us through Christ. If you look back in John chapter 1, that's where it is confirmed and, and steadily it was set across to us. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with flesh, the Word was flesh, the word, and in the beginning the Word was with God. And then you get down to verse 14, and the Word became flesh. Jesus Christ is the enfleshment of God. To see and talk about Christ is to talk about God. To talk about God is to talk about Christ. Jesus Christ is the enfleshment of God. The second thing is Jesus Christ is the revelation of glory. This glory is the same Shekinah glory that we would talk of in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, as the Israelites traveled around, there was a pillar of fire by night, and there was a cloud by day, and it dwelt in their midst. It was in the tabernacle as it was placed, put in place. Around the tabernacle, the tribes were spread. In the center was the tabernacle. It, the idea is that God is in our presence. He is in our midst. Jesus Christ is a revelation of the glory of God, his divine presence in our midst. The third thing is, Jesus Christ is the central figure of our faith. That's why he says, Do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. He is the central figure of our faith. Gerhard Kittle put it this way, James breaks through his habitual reserve in speaking of the Master and shows us his unwavering devotion to Christ. Do not, my brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. And finally we get to the crisis with partiality. Partiality is defined as respect of persons or favoritism. It's any form of preferential treatment focused on race, wealth, social rank, popularity, gender. There's a story that came out about a Chicago bank that once asked for a letter of recommendation on a young Bostonian being considered for employment. The Boston Investment House could not say enough about the young man. His father, they wrote, was a Cabot. His mother was a Lowell. Further back was a happy blend of Saltonstalls, Peabody's, and other Boston family, first families. His recommendation was given without hesitation. Several days later, the Chicago bank sent a note saying the information supplied was altogether inadequate. It read, We are not contemplating using a young man for breeding purposes, just for work. The point is, neither is God a respecter of persons, but accepts those from every family, nation, race who fear him and work for his kingdom. Favoritism. Identification is an interesting thing in verse 9. It just, James, as you raise it, he just come out and said, Listen, to show partiality is sin. But if you show partiality, you commit sin. It is sin to show partiality. It's not found in God in Romans chapter 2, verse 11, for there is no partiality with God. It's not found in Christ in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 9, nor knowing your own master is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. There's no partiality in evangelism. Peter's message to the household of Cornelius in, in Acts chapter 10. In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. John Hamby summarized these verses this way. He says, what James is telling us here is not to profess faith in Christ at the same time be a Christian snob. There's no partiality. 
It's not in Christ, it's not in God, it's not in evangelism, and it ought not be in our church, it ought not to be in our individual thinking and processes. The second thing I wanted to see in verses 2 to 4 is a problem to remedy. First of all, notice in the illustration there of partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings, fine apparel, there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place. Say the poor man, you stand there or sit here at my footstool. Two men enter an assembly. One is obviously a very wealthy individual. In fact, at that time it was often desirable to dress to show off your wealth. Those who are wealthy individuals would often rent, rent, actually rent jewelry to wear to show their wealth. He's well-dressed, gold rings, and obviously he caught their attention. The other is a, his, has filthy clothes, obviously very poor. He's work, these are probably work clothes. They are soiled, they are stained. He's not, this is not a homeless person. The rich man is ushered to a place of distinction with ceremony and respect, pomp and circumstance. The poor man is allowed to stand, or he can sit possibly at the footstool of the rich man. In verse 3, the word you is plural. Suggests this was the general attitude of the church as a whole. The sin itself is not extending a warm welcome to the wealthy person, but in treating the poor man carelessly and even rudely. It was not wrong to show, show respect for the wealthy man, but the same respect that was showed to him should have been showed to the poor man. I know a funny thing happened one day. My son-in-law, who, by the way, is a doctor, is, was going on car hunting. And he came home from work, and uh, he still had his white coat on, and he asked me if I wanted to go with. I said, sure. He said, well, just a minute, I have to change. <laughs> and then when he came out, I, I went... And looked at him, I'm going like, what? Why did you put that on? He had some ratty shorts on, and of all things, a tie-dye sh- T-shirt. And he said, I have found when I go car shopping, if they find out I'm a doctor, the price changes. We are all that same way. We, we show partiality. In this case, the partiality worked in reverse against him. Jer- David Jeremiah in the book Turning Toward Integrity gives this illustration a modern version of this very story. One Sunday in Bel Air Presbyterian Church when in, it, when in attendance the then governor of California, Ronald Reagan and Nancy usually sat in the same seats just off the center about two thirds of the way, into the way back into the sanctuary. On this particular morning, the governor and his wife were late, and by the time they got there, two college students had occupied those seats. An usher came down the aisle and asked the students if they would take different seats off to the side. They moved, and Ron and Nancy were brought in and seated. To his credit, the pastor got up from his place on the platform, walked down and over to the college students and said, as long as I am pastor of this church, that will never happen again. Partiality. Three verses come to mind as I think of the problem to remedy. First Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. Man looks on the outward appearance, God looks at the heart. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6. 
but we all, like an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 to 28. For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female. You are all one in Christ. The implication of partiality is there in verse 4. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? There's two things that I want to point out here. It's kind of interesting, again, as, as you look into the language and the words and the, how it's uh, put together. But first of all, the implication is that the individual is double-minded. You have shown partiality. He's expecting an affirmative answer. Yes, I have. The, world translated, the word translated partiality in, in this verse is different did you catch that? The word that is used in its translated partiality in this verse is different than the one that's used in verse 2 and also in verse 9. But it's from the same word family translated doubting in verse 6 of chapter 1 and double-minded in verse 8 of chapter 1. The implication of partiality is this individual is double-minded. They're doubting. They were unsettled in the practical application of their faith. That's why he said in verse, verse 1, My brethren, do not hold the faith of your Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. They were unsettled. Listen, don't be double-minded. We don't have to be unsettled in our faith. It's a done deal. Just think of it this way. How would you want to be treated? What if it was you? You were the new person. Or you've been here for a long time and you just feel excluded. How would you feel? How would you want to be treated? Double-minded. The second thing is a double standard. Become judges with evil thoughts. Judges here is the idea that you, you, self, you appointed yourself as a judge. In other words, you put yourself in the place of God. Evil. This is vicious, destructive. You become judges with evil, vicious, and destructive thoughts. Another translation translates the word thoughts as motives. In other words, your motivation, the point is your motivation is evil. The implication is double-minded and a double standard. They had acted according to the worldly consideration of expediency. In other words, the, the point I'm trying to make here is that the culture, our culture is built this way. It's just the way it is. And they, they, were, they were being influenced by what the culture had come into the church, and they were influenced in their thinking how to practice that. So it became expedient rather than go against the tide, or go against the flow, it was expedient to go with the flow. They had acted according to the worldly consideration of expediency rather than acting on the principle the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Listen, I had to come to Christ the same way you had to come to Christ. I had to come to Christ the same way John had to come to Christ, the way Rebecca had to come to Christ. I had to come to Christ the same way a six-year-old, a five-year-old had to come to Christ. I had to put my faith and trust in, a, in the Lord Jesus Christ, repent for my sins, and realize that I was a sinner in need of a Savior. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Let me explain something to you as I, as I lead into this. 
conclusion to the message. I've read more than a few books, even articles, on what it takes to build a growing church. Strong leadership can help. Good preaching is always a plus. Strong music program can be an asset. But in the end, relationships drive growing churches. Here's what I want you to do as we finish the message with three questions. Who are you closest to in this church family? Who are the people you hang out with? How long has it been since you reached out to intentionally include someone new into your circle? One of the reasons we started CORE was the purpose to to get cross-generational if possible. Some ways we've been successful, other ways it's been not so successful. But one thing that has come up from CORE is the building of relationships. Relationships drive growing churches. Do not, do not be partial. Do not exercise partiality, but rather the opposite would be inclusion. Intentionally seek to bring others in. How would you want to be treated? My brethren, this is a pastor, heart to the heart of his people. Do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. Verse 9, but if you show partiality, you commit sin. Is that part of your life? It's real simple. Get rid of it. Let's bow our heads in prayer as we close our service. Father, we're thankful for the great privilege of being here to celebrate communion, to look into the scriptures, to hear these testimonies, to sing songs, to glorify your name. Lord, we thank you for your grace, that even it's just the grace of God that Faith Bible Church continues to exist. I pray that we will invest our lives in the lives of others. And that relationships are very key to a growing church. And Lord, I pray that in the meantime that we continue to stay faithful to the scriptures, to the word of God that we will take that body of doctrine and put it into the art of living, not only through this community of Faith Bible Church, but in this community of Naples, Florida. God, we thank you for your blessings upon us. If you're here this morning, your head's bowed and eyes closed, if you're here this morning and you've heard the testimonies, you've heard the scriptures, And you do not know Christ as your personal Savior, but you would like to have someone show you from the Word of God how to be saved. Just very quietly, we'll not embarrass you, just slip your hand up, please. And put it down. We'd be more than happy to talk to you after the service. You can come up to myself or one of the other pastors. If you're here this morning, say, Pastor Ken, just pray for me. This is an area that I'm struggling with. I didn't realize it. But as I look back and I examine my life in light of these questions... I do show partiality. Would you just pray for me? Is there anyone like that? Again, I will not pray for you by name and not embarrass you. Thank you. Is there others? Father, well, I pray as we come to you, knowing that whether raised hands or not, that yet you are still working. You know the hearts. 
Oh, God, I pray for our ministry. We pray for these people. We pray for our pastoral staff. We pray for the leadership in the church. That in every way, in every, every area, that we will extend outward, not inward. In Christ's name we pray, amen.